Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Moilermakers, Rob Blackman. And today is episode 73 here on the podcast. And we welcome in former Boilermaker, longtime coach in the profession, Mike Steele, joins us. Uh, Mike, how you doing? Doing great. Uh, yeah, you caught me on uh, on my birthday. Oh, really? Wow. Yep. How about that? Yep. You know what? I did. Well, no, act like you did it, like you knew what you were doing, <laughs> Elliot. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, <laughs> first my first show. Sorry, I gotta get used to it. Um, you know, I did actually know that because I saw the graphic we put out, um, but it didn't dawn on me that it was uh, that we set this up for your birthday. So, boy, I know that you know you probably had a lot of thrills on your birthday over the years, but this has got to be right at the top of the list, I would think. So you know what it, it is, but the top of the list. I, my son Drew, who has Down syndrome, and he's he just he's 36 now, and he goes to all the games. I mean, he's just something. He is truly something. He's got a building named after him and all that. But we go to Waffle House about twice a week, and their goal is to get our food ready before we really sit down. Yeah. And when we went in today, Drew stood up and said, "Hey, everybody, my dad's 70 today." <laughs> yeah and he i said Drew, if you say 70 you're not going back to waffle house he said okay i won't and boy he stood up he he's just like his dad he can't uh, he can't stand it he said now my dad's 70 so you guys are second on the list right now <laughs> oh man that's awesome that's that's, that's great well, hey, Mike, so we talk on this on this podcast a lot. We kind of go back, talk to a lot of former players, and, and uh, always like to start um, kind of at the beginning. I know uh, Illinois. Um, now, did you grow up in Illinois your whole childhood, or did you guys move grew around? Up, grew up in Illinois okay. uh, from about sixth grade on, whatever, and then uh, played in a little town there, Robinson, Illinois. Yep. Uh, our big rival was Paris, Illinois, and they had a kid named Otho Tucker who was a year older than me. And Otho ended up going to Illinois, and I ended up going to Purdue. Uh, you know, it was uh, it was really good basketball back back at that time. I mean, our team we were my junior year we were twenty two and seven, and the Paris beat us four times, and they were undefeated. They beat wow. us by two in the last in the regional finals. So, yeah, it's been. Uh, and one of the reasons we went to Purdue is because Purdue's probably about two hours from uh, from Robinson. Okay. And so um, at what point, and I, we're always kind of curious about this question, so how early did uh, did you get the basketball bug? And uh, obviously you're a, you spent more time in the game than most uh, former players who, you know, give it the uh, – after they play here, they might play professionally for a while, but you played for a long time and then, and then coached for a long time. Uh, talk about like your childhood years and and when you really got into basketball and when did you kind of know that this is something you were pretty good at? You know, it's funny. The uh, coach Pinkstaff was my eighth grade coach, and Coach Pinkstaff had been a high school coach and you know had gotten let go or whatever. But he's really a good coach, really good coach, and he he made the, a huge difference for me because you know like. I was pretty good, I guess, but he took me to the side when the season was over, and I had three buddies of mine that didn't play, and, you know, they were just, you know, I just hang out with them, and he asked me how, you know, what I wanted to do next year, and I said, you know, I'm going to play basketball. He said, you know, your goal should be to start on the varsity next year, and, I mean, I thought that he uh, lost his mind. He goes, <laughs> no, you're good enough, and you should, you should be an all-state player by the time you're a junior or senior, but you got to quit hanging out with, with guys that don't have, you know, athletic goals, et cetera. And, you know, it just, it just kind of woke me up and I ended up, uh, I ended up starting as a freshman and my sister was a senior and her boyfriend is the one I beat out. So there was a little tension on the home <laughs> front there. Yeah. Um, Tell them, do you have your family members rooting against you? But I think she was. <laughs> uh, but then that you know that was I, I played football until my senior year, and uh, you know played quarterback. I was running out of bounds way before Fran Tarkington was run out. <laughs> they they didn't have to teach me how to run out of bounds. <laughs> I, I got that on my own. <laughs> but uh, uh, I didn't play my senior year, which looking back on, I wish I would have because I. I broke a bone in my foot the first day of practice, and so my senior year, 
but ended up playing the whole time. But I knew basketball was my deal. I mean, that was my passion. My uh, my junior year, no, my sophomore year, uh, the police came. I was I'd broken into the gym, and the police came and took me down, you know, and all that stuff. And went, to, went to jail in Robinson, Illinois. <laughs> and my coach, who lived right across from the gym, as we were going back, he goes, Mike, here's a key. This will make it a lot easier for you. And so, wow. you know, I had a key to the gym my junior and senior years, and uh, that was that was when I knew that, I mean, basketball was going to be my deal. It's funny because there's a lot of um, – you hear that a lot. You know, the guys who really um, wanted it the most found a way to get that key. And uh, I can't tell you how many guys that we've talked to on this podcast and just stories you hear over the years of – Guys who end up making it and playing at the you know big time college level, um, boy, it seems like a it almost seems like they're in the majority of, a guy, of they found a way to get in that gym whether it was a you know through a dad that was a coach or a coach giving them a key like that. But um, it's funny when you kind of oh, yeah. get when you get bit with the bug like that, it's pretty you know evident. It's hard to keep you away from the from the gym and the court. I wonder how many of them got caught by the police when <laughs> now I that, yeah, yeah. in the uh, dryer. <laughs> now that's a first. <laughs> yep. they, nobody turned the dryer on because this wouldn't. Yeah, that might have been the end of that story. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Mike. I, I, Mike, I'd like to interject here. I'm actually very familiar with uh, where your part of the country where you grew up, simply because my wife grew up uh, just uh, a few miles to the south of you there on uh, Highway One down in Mount Carmel, Illinois. Uh, really? So yeah. So and yeah, we so used to play Mount Carmel. I know, and I was so I was just thinking to myself, um, you know, you think about where you were there in Robinson. You mentioned Paris, always had good teams. Uh, Lawrenceville, just to the south south of you guys, always had good teams. And that you know that part of the state, as you well know, is very heavy, uh, heavily uh, Illinois influenced, as in Illinois fighting Illini influence. Were you recruited by Illinois, or was it just Purdue, or uh, I'm oh, Illinois! How you, would, how you got Illinois. out of the grasp of uh, Illinois? Well, Illinois, uh, you know, back then they didn't have any rules of how many times you could see guys, and so Illinois probably saw me play almost every game, probably twenty games. Wow. And uh, uh, Harv Schmidt was the coach, and it, it looked like that was going to be his. It looked like he wasn't going to make it. It looked like he, you know, the, the other. The rumor was that it was the end of his contract and such. And so, really, I got down between NC State, and uh, this is kind of interesting, NC State and Purdue. And NC State, their guy, their assistant, told my dad and I that, you know, they had they thought the best basketball player in the world at NC State. And I thought in the world. And then when I went on a visit, they scrimmaged. And I watched David Thompson for about 30 minutes. <laughs> I called my dad from a payphone. I said, Dad, I, 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 I just can't believe this, how good this guy is. And then, but I ended up going to Purdue because it was closer, and I thought they had a really good, and I think they, they still do. They just, what Purdue is, they had a good family atmosphere. Just, again, just felt like everybody was, you know, on the same page. But in 1974, we won the NIT, back when the NIT was, you know, meant something. And NC State won the national championship, and NC State came in and played us on a national televised game, and we were up eight or ten points at halftime. And then David Thompson just became David Thompson, and he was just too good. But we had a great game. We had a great team that year. If It's it's funny, Rob, if, like, when I played, Fred Schaus was probably much maligned as a coach, and he was really good coach, really good coach. But you had to win the league. And that was back in Indiana when Indiana was so good. Yeah. But like '74, we were ranked ninth in the country, and we beat in the first round of the NIT. We beat Carolina. They're ranked third in the country, and neither one of us got wow. in. Wow. Yeah. It was just it was like right now, if that happened, we'd be a number two seed probably in California, and we would have had a good chance to really. Like I said, we took NC State down to the wire, and they won the national championship. So. So, yeah. Mike, who was coaching at North Carolina State when you when they were recruiting you? Uh, Sloan. Okay. Coach. Yep. And he had he had Rob Burleson. He had little Monty Tao. My, I I I room with yeah. uh, on my visit. I stayed with Monty Tao. 
Wow. Uh, you know, who they said listed 5'8". I think he's about 5'2". <laughs> yeah. But, but he came into Purdue, and, I mean, he was – he was cocky, and he could, you know, he could really pass. Yeah, he was a good, you know, he was a good player, uh, but he was a good guy. And they had uh, Tom Burleson, who was seven foot four or five. I mean, they had they had a unique team. They had the tallest guy and the shortest guy, and then they had David Thompson, who was just a different, you know, he was he was at a different level. Yeah. Now, when you got recruited, so when Purdue's, you know, it comes down to NC State and Purdue. Who's the, who's primarily recruiting you from Purdue at that time? You know, Coach Schaus had just gotten first my junior year. The first one it was was uh, George King. Yeah, and then then you know Coach Bob was on the staff then, mm-hmm. and Coach Bob, who when I still when I send out an email or I send anything out, if I send out an email. I always put a little MS, and people go, why do you do that? We know it's coming from you. I said, <laughs> Coach Bob used to put that CB. You'd walk in the locker room, and there'd be a note, see me before practice, and he'd have his little CB circled, and you knew, son of a gun, how does he know I missed class today? How does oh. he know that? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. he did, and then Roger Blaylock was on the staff, yep. and uh, and Coach Faber, and then uh, Joe Sexton. And okay. You know, as soon as I got out of Purdue, I went to Bowling Green and got my master's degree. And then Coach Joe hired me uh, as his first assistant right out of, you know, right out when he went to uh, to Butler. So I, I had a chance to get into that coaching pretty quick. So when you get, when you make the decision to come over to Purdue then, what, talk about, uh, you, you referenced it a little bit, Indiana's really good at the time. Um, you know, just talk about the league when you guys were playing. I mean, it, um, you guys, as you referenced, you really good team here. Indiana had a really good team. Um, the Big Ten's always had, you know, good teams and been a good league. But what were some of the games that, you know, league games or some of the teams that, that stood out in, in your mind when you played here? Well, when I got on campus, I went over to the Co-Rec and played, and – Bruce Parkinson was this, the same uh, same class as me, and I went and I I spoke. It had a chance to introduce Bruce into the Hall of Fame, which yeah. was great. He should have been in the Hall of Fame like immediately. But anyway, so I go over to the Co-Rec and we play for a couple hours, and we change teams and we rotate whatever. And and I, you know, I thought. I called my dad and I said, Dad, I just played with a great player. I mean, with a great player. And he said, Well, you know, Mike, you're gonna you're gonna play against good play. you know, it's a different level. You're gonna <laughs> yeah. play against some good I said, Dad, he's a freshman and he plays the same position I play. <laughs> and my dad said, Well, that's not good. That's not good. <laughs> so uh you know, my I, that that year was the first year a freshman could play. And there were probably only a handful of freshmen that played in the country and park was one of them. And Quinn Buckner was the other one. Mm. And they, uh, you know, they had great games against each other. So I didn't play on the varsity as a freshman. They had a JV team and, you know, we played other teams and stuff. And then my sophomore year, I almost transferred because I just didn't know if I was good enough, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's funny how if, if it would have, if the rules would have been the way they are now, that they just changed, yeah, I would have been playing at Evansville or Southern Illinois. Okay, because I just, I wanted to play, yeah, and I just didn't think I was was good enough. And then we played at Northwestern, and we were behind, and this is when we were really good, but we were behind like sixteen to nothing, sixteen to two, and so Coach House, in an act of desperation, put me in the game. <laughs> and I ended up, you know, making some good passes, made a couple baskets, whatever. And so then I started the second half, and we won the game. And from then on, uh, I came off the bench, and I was probably the, I don't know, eighth man and got to play a lot. And, and in the NIT, I played a lot, and then we won the championship. And so that was a big difference. But, you know, that's why, that's why kids being able to – I think kids being able to transfer, I'm showing my age, but I think 
the number of kids that feel like transferring and they hang in there for another couple weeks, then they're glad they didn't. Well, I'm just afraid that the new rule is going to eliminate that couple weeks and there'll be guys, you know, getting their rear ends chewed in practice and then the next day mom and dad are sending them somewhere else. Yeah, it's funny you bring that up, and I think you're probably more qualified than most to talk on this because obviously former player, but um, but longtime coach as well. And you know, we've we've discussed that too as a staff, and and talked. A, I've talked a lot about it with uh, with Paint, and just the you know he's been on a lot of these NCAA committees and and uh, oversight committee, and he gives a perspective to some of these. Um, some of the individuals who are making these rule changes about, you know, the, some of the consequences of a rule like this. And, you know, there's something to be said. There's a balance between, because you want a kid, if he's in a bad situation, you want him to be able to go play. And I've always yep. thought that if there, if there's a coaching change and some, some circumstances change on the kid, you know, it, it's not fair. And he needs to go be able to play right away. And I think everybody understands that, but there's also something to be said for, um, you know, teaching teaching young people that it's not always going to be you know the yellow brick road, and you got to sometimes uh, push through some things, and uh, and if you do that, you end up you know benefiting in the long run. Yeah, you know, uh, the number of people that are the MVPs of their AAU team. I think that basically everyone is the MVP of their <laughs> AAU team, and. You know, they. It, it, yeah, it's kind of funny when I was talking to Coach Painter and I was just telling him, the first time I saw uh, Edie play, yeah, I, I was stunned, to be honest. I was absolutely stunned. I mean, I didn't know anything about the kid, and I just watched it, and I'm like, man. And, and the more I watched, and so I called Matt, and I said, boy, you know, you, you've, got a, you've got a guy there that a couple things. One, he's going to be there, you know, hopefully his whole career because no matter how good he gets, the NBA is not going to take a low post guy. They just don't do it right now. You know, they're shooting 43s a game. So that's going to be great for Purdue. But I said, I told Matt, I said, Matt, you guys, you guys have done an incredible job of teaching him to get down and get in the low post. I said, I've never seen a young kid do that he goes well mike he didn't play a u he, he doesn't know he, he doesn't know he's not supposed to do that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i watched last <laughs> night and i'm telling you he went right in got a couple nice baskets but he goes into the post like like guys do at the ymca they're 30 years old <laughs> i mean yeah he's a little bit of a throwback but, there's no doubt about that oh and you know the other thing skip holtz told me a couple years ago, he said, they're going to let them guys transfer. He said, because Mike, they don't want to pay guys. And if, if you, if you don't allow them to transfer, basically it's like they're your employee and they've got a non-compete for a year. And it, if it's going to help not have to pay, because if you pay guys, you know, then title nine comes in. I mean, it's just a hornet's nest. Yeah. So I think one of the things behind the scenes that they did with this is they did it because they're trying to hold off as long as they can, not having to uh, not having to pay the guys. No, I've always thought that I I brought this up a couple of years ago uh, with Coach Painter, and I just said, you know, one of the things they ought to do is automatically allow if you make a coaching change, whether it's the school, whether the coach leaves for whatever reason, there's a coaching change. Everybody on that roster should be eligible to go transfer and play immediately right away. And I said, I agree. And, and what, I thought that yeah, forever. Yeah, and I think what that would do is it would do a couple things. First of all, it would give schools some pause. You know, you, you see it all the time. You've got some uh, big shot alum that calls the shots on the basketball coach or the football coach. And for whatever reason, you know, once I'm out of there, rightfully or, you know, just on a whim, and now all of a sudden, okay, you know, the AD goes back to this guy and says, okay, now look, we can do this, but you understand if we do this, the whole roster's probably going to leave, and now we're going to start over and we're probably going to be bad for two or three years. No, and, you know, it, and don't get me – well, I can now because I don't – but administrators, <laughs> yeah. 
administrators don't they actually think that people pick your school because it's a school and it couldn't be <laughs> it couldn't be any further from the truth i mean guys pick the school because on the visit they find guys they like they want to know where they're going to play they want to know where they're going to eat and they want to know where the girls are and oh by the <laughs> way you have to take some classes i mean that's that's not everybody but that's a good portion of them and when you got guys that think that they picked Purdue because it's got a great pharmacy school, they're in Never Neverland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I I can't argue with that. It's you know a lot of times it's that coach and as you said, it's the player that's you know we we feel like we've got a really good culture and a really good locker room with good guys in it, and so when we have kids on campus, we want to find ways to get them around our players as much as possible. You know, whether that's yeah. just come watch a practice and hang out, talk with our guys, uh, go to have a, you know, go to a cookout with our guys if it's an official visit like that. Just anything to keep them around our players because our players are the best ambassadors for the program. And, uh, yeah, you want to be able to go in that locker room and feel good about it. So, You know what, Elliot, when uh, this, is, this is funny, it's always been that way. And or pretty much, you know, maybe a year there's some guys, but – when I was a senior, uh, they brought they brought a guy in, and I took him out, and we had a great time. I mean, we had a great time. <laughs> and so he goes in to see Coach Bob, and he tells Coach Bob he wants to come. And Coach Bob calls me in and said, Mike, this guy's a backup for us. I said, well, somebody needs to tell me something. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know. And so we didn't take him. You know what his name was? What? Jack Sigma. Oh, my goodness. Really? Yeah, and he ended up going to Illinois Wesleyan because Illinois didn't take him, and we didn't take him. Oh, my. We took a guy that was seven foot that couldn't tie his shoes, and Jack Sigma goes to Illinois, and then he's all NBA for seven, eight years in a row. Yeah, yeah. and just, you know, know, when a guy gets a drill named after him, you know, if you're, you know, if you're doing yeah. Mike and drills or Sigma drills, like, he, chances are he was pretty no, good. I told uh, I told Coach Bob, and I love Coach Bob, I've got a picture of him right here on my wall because I said Coach Bob did, you know, Coach Bob, when I first Bob, I thought he was about 70 years old when he was probably 45. <laughs> and then when he was 70 years old, he looked exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly the same. It was like your dad was talking to you when he talked to you. And when well, Coach Bob had to do say, I'm, I'm, Mike, I'm just a little disappointed. It's like, oh, my God. And, and you know, Elliot, now you got all the things to track them and all that. Well, you know, we didn't have hardly had any tutors unless you were really in trouble. But there was, there was no way. Nobody tracked if you were going to class. But that damn Coach Bob would – when he sent that note on your on, he knew that at ten o'clock you missed that Dr. Collins history class. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, my uh, Mike, I know we're talking about a totally different Coach Bob, but I would like you to talk about, if you don't mind, um, Coach Bob Knight at Indiana, because your career at Purdue basically coincided with Coach Knight going to Bloomington and his the first four or five years of his career in Bloomington. For, there's probably a number of our listeners on this podcast that are too young to know that, you know, it wasn't always Coach Katie and Coach Knight. There was about a 10-year stretch where it was just Coach Knight before Coach Katie came to town. When you were in your Purdue playing career, when uh, again, when it coincided with Coach Knight coming to Bloomington, could you, from a Purdue player standpoint, from a rival standpoint, could you kind of, uh, I guess, understand the uh, the enormity of, of, of what Coach Knight was building down at Indiana, and just just how good those guys were going to get at that time. Because again, that was very very early in his coaching career at Indiana. You know, it's funny. Like when, like for instance, Steve Green. Steve Green and I worked at uh, at a camp together two two summers in a row. Became good friends. And when Drew was born with Down syndrome. Steve Green, I hadn't talked to Steve for a long time. He called me, and I went over to see him, and he had a daughter who had Down syndrome. And it was just, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to me because she was just adorable. And John Leskowski, we worked uh, camps together, and Quinn was from Illinois. I mean, we, and we played in the summer. I mean, we didn't have any 
issues ever with the players, and we recruited the same guys and stuff. But Bobby Knight, uh, it was interesting that when I played, like Jim Cruz and I were both 6'4", slow Caucasians. And <laughs> when he got in the game, I would usually get in the game and vice versa because, you know, we guard each other. And so he and I became real good friends. And so when, when I was at DePaul, I had a chance to go. I, I probably saw Indiana practice 50 times. And I'll clean up the language a little bit, but uh, well, really a lot. But Coach Knight, I was at practice one day, and he says, uh, out of nowhere, he says, Mike, you want to come in the locker room uh, for our, our pregame stuff? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. And as I'm walking in, he says, you know what? You're probably the first SOB from Purdue that's ever been in this locker room. <laughs> and I said, you know what, Coach? I'm probably the first SOB that ever even wanted to be in this locker room. <laughs> and from then on, he, uh, I mean, after practice, we'd have dinners. He would, he'd send me a note every once in a while. He helped me with some uh, job situations. He was great to me. He was, he was great to me. But when, like, when Indiana would come, you know how, they, how, Elliot, they, they'll come in and do shooting practice, you yeah. know, and you, they'd come in. Now, granted, you know, we knew, I knew most of these guys, they would come in and come to the floor, and they would not turn their head to say hello. They would go, Steely, I'll call you later tonight. <laughs> they couldn't speak it. It, yeah. it was like we were the Russians, yeah. and they were the Americans, and that was nice background. But there's no way... One of those guys would turn and say hello or feel comfortable because they knew that night was uh, night was right there. And I went to one practice, and it's in his book, Season on the Brink, uh, it's a, which is a great book. But I went to one practice, and you mentioned Lawrenceville, where Ron Felling was coaching when I was playing, and Ron Felling was way ahead of his time. He was a great coach. So I go to see Felling and, and Cruz, and – they're doing a warm-up drill. Three-man weave, call out the guy's name. Well, he couldn't hear him call out the name, and he goes crazy. And <laughs> they go to the locker room, and I hear all this noise. I mean, noise. Night leaves. The assistants and the seniors. Uh, Alfred runs practice. And afterwards, Knight never comes back. And afterwards, I go in the locker room, and uh, every every mirror in the locker room was shattered. Shattered. He he took a chair and broke them all. <laughs> and that was that was during three man weave where he didn't say, Elliot, Mike, yeah, Rob. Yeah. Oh no, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And you know, and I played in the game when uh, I played in the game when when uh, oh shoot, who's the uh, the great player? This Scott May when he broke his arm. Oh yeah, yeah. Junior year, and they were probably better that year than they were the year they went undefeated in 76. Yeah. He broke his arm in the Purdue game, and I was in the game. I tell people I tripped him just so they think I <laughs> did something good at Purdue. But, uh, oh, yeah. Coach Knight was uh, – and we – if you look back, all of our games with Indiana were probably within four or five points. I mean, yeah, we, we had, so we I, had yeah. great – Yes. Well, Mike, I, I did. I actually did a little research on that this morning, Mike, before this conversation. Not only were the games close, but and you may not have realized this at the time or even realize it now. During your career, there were four different times you guys played Indiana, Purdue played Indiana, when Indiana was ranked number one in the country. You played them four different times when they were number one in the nation. Wow. I mean, that, that's pretty awesome. Wow. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, I knew that. That's why... Yeah, that's why they beat us. Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> and you know what, Rob? Here at East Carolina, the first uh, four four years I was here, we played uh, we played Duke four times, all on the road, of course, and uh, they were number one in the country every year. Wow! And the hmm. first year, uh, we had a bunch of kids that you know won't bore you with all the things, but then we we started three walk ons. 
the first game, first road game. Three walk-ons, two of them led their fraternities in scoring the year before, and we're going to play Duke with Leitner and Hill. And, yeah. And so my wife, Sandy, she, she goes, what are you, you just seems so, seems so upset the last couple of days. And I said, yeah, we're getting ready to go play Duke, and I'm, I'm the tallest guy on the bus. <laughs> and she says, well, it's not like you haven't lost a game before. And I said, how about shutout? <laughs> how about USA Today? 107-0. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, no, but, it, but Indiana was uh, – I want to show you. We were right – Park had the ball one time. The ball kind of got kicked away from him. And, well, <laughs> my – my sophomore year, I because I played quarterback in high school, I could pass. And so when Coach Chow, when we had a last second, I was the guy that would come in to pass. So we're down two at Indiana. And, I mean, Bruce Rose played great. We were good. So we got the ball down two and with about five seconds to go. So I'm throwing the ball in. Ball's going to park. Park's supposed to throw it up to Bruce and either get it into Garrett or, or, or Frank. All I got to do is throw it in and get the hell out of the way. That's my job. <laughs> so I get it in as I'm jogging on the other side of the floor. Park can't get it to anybody else. He throws it back to me. Uh. I couldn't hardly – it's like he throws it back to me. I, I was ready just to go in the locker room. So he throws it back to me. The shot clock goes down. I take a couple dribbles, I shoot it, and Steve Green comes out of nowhere and blocks it. Well, we have some contact, so Coach Chalice is going crazy because he wants it to be a foul. I kind of want it to be a foul, but then I'm thinking, I'm Bloomington, and i got to make two free throws to tie the game? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I wasn't really too excited about that. But, yeah, that's how close the games were. And, and they were close even in 76 when – they were undefeated. We took them right down to the wire. We had them beat at Purdue. I remember one game we beat them. We were ahead the whole game, and they beat us, but we were ahead the whole game. And I remember looking down at Coach Knight, and they won, and he was jumping up and down going, we won, we won, we, we won. It was like he just – that game we knew we were going to beat them. And he, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, we had some – and i tell you what, what Coach Painter's done – is every bit as impressive as what Coach Knight ever did against uh, against us? What he's done at Indiana, against Indiana, it's amazing. Yeah, it's been a good run. Uh, been a good run of late um, against the guys down there. Hey, Mike. Hey, uh, go ahead, uh, Elliot. You guys, <laughs> you guys, you guys playing play Ohio State, and boy, you guys run a great play for Sasha. And, you know, they show it a couple times, double screen, and he screens the screener and all that stuff. Wide open makes it. Yeah. Then the score's tied, and the ball goes to Ivy, and he's supposed to come off, I think, he's supposed to come off the screen, take the basket. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He pulls up the three. And I'm looking, and your guys on the bench are like, oh, no. And it's like, yes. Yeah. (laughs) You've been in that situation. I I sent Painter. Immediately, and you know how good Matt is about getting back to you, but I sent him a, I said, uh, love the play to tie the game. Uh, brilliant. C- congratulations. The play to win the game, I'm guessing that an audible was called. Yeah. <laughs> he sends back and he goes, you think? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, that's why you... You never know when you know when your fans watch a game. They go, "Why did they? Why did they do that? They just right. had a timeout." It's like, yeah, well, right. They're eighteen years old, and somebody wasn't listening. Yeah, hey, you know what? I was gonna. Well, before we get into your coaching part, I want to ask you one more question about your days at Purdue. What was what was campus and everything like? Just being a, a student here, and and you know, talk about Purdue at the time. You know, it was it. It was good. I mean, it was good. I loved it at Purdue. And uh, uh, by the time I became a – I started in business, and I hated every class. And <laughs> consequently, if you don't like the classes, you don't go. And so, you know, I wasn't a great – I wasn't great in that end. But once I decided I was going to go into coaching, and I, went in, I had a student teach, and, I mean, 
you know, I got the Red Mackey Award somewhere in this office. But, I mean, it just shows you, like, I could have taken the classes. If I wanted to, if I liked my classes business, I'd have been fine. But I hated it. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, when, when I met Sandy, the end of my sophomore year, uh, met Sandy and she said, well, uh, why don't we go on the, the lunch and I'll meet you at the library. And I had to go back to the fraternity house and find out where the library was. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't real, real active Get your in map the out. fraternity, yeah. uh, you know, in the uh, library. But, no, it was good. And you know what? We had – football was fun. We, we weren't nearly as good as I think we could have been. That was back when we had uh, Gary Danielson and we had yeah. uh, Butts and, and Bingham and, and Dar- you know, we had Daryl Stingley. We had – great players we just weren't good enough to win for whatever reason so but football was fun and basketball it it was uh you know and what they've done now we had a great atmosphere but what purdue has done in the last three or four years when i go to the games it ranks the only place i've ever been really that i've been to carolina duke games i've been to uh kentucky louisville games the only place I've seen that has a better atmosphere is uh, Kansas. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. It's right, right at the top, and it's it's something, something that uh, I think we're all gonna when we get back to having fans again. It's gonna, I think, oh. it might even go to another level because everybody would be so appreciative to be back in the building. So, and you know what, Ellie? Like, I don't think there's any way that Michigan State loses those home games. That that Duke loses the home games. That. Kansas gets beat 40, there's just no way that they lose all those games, or Kentucky. And the big part is you look at the box scores in these games, people are shooting the same amount of free throws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and those officials, I got a good friend of mine, the official says, oh, you know, I said, I'm telling you, you if you got fans in there, Duke shoots 27 free throws and uh, <laughs> That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so I, I think it's, it's hurt Purdue, but I think it's helped Purdue because we've we've won some games on the road that maybe would have been maybe we wouldn't have won. Yeah. So so you you knew you wanted to coach before you know what, like what midway through your time here at Purdue. Yep. Uh, going the end of my junior year, changed my major and all that, and uh, ended up student teaching my senior year, and I just I loved it. I loved every minute of it. In fact, the last five years, I volunteer and coach a. Uh, inner city junior high team oh awesome and i have had more fun and really think that you know you could really have some impact on kids that you know don't have a a dad at home or one parent you know parent family or i mean you can you can it's really neat i mean coaching coaching and it's uh uh but that's when i knew and you know coach house coach house said to me before my senior year he said uh he said, I always knew you were going to be a coach. And he said, I knew after the game at Iowa, your sophomore year. And that game, I told you, I went like, you know, I got, I would throw the ball in bounds. I could do that. Well, yeah. we're playing, and we're in double overtime at Iowa. And Dick Satterfield and I are both playing to show you how many guys filed out. I mean, my guys. <laughs> so, and so we're both playing, and there's like three seconds to go, and we got a timeout. And the play coach sets up is you got Pat Manahan's coming off the screen, throw it to Pat, Pat throws it to get to Jerry Nichols. That's the play. Place is going crazy. I mean, it's it's just going crazy. That was back when Lou was there, and oh yeah. my god. So so as we're coming out of the huddle, I turned to coach. I said, Coach, there's not time for two passes. And he looks at me and he says, then you throw wherever the blank you want to throw. <laughs> I said, okay. And I fake it to Manahan. This was the highlight of my whole career, really. I fake it to Manahan. I throw it the length of the floor. Jerry Nichols catches it, takes one dribble, and makes it. And we go into triple overtime. No kidding. Wow. Uh-huh. And if – well, Sat, Sat, of course, has the video because that's where Sat, you know, scored a – scored his career more points in that game than his whole career. And so, <laughs> so, but it shows me the best part is shows me walking back into the huddle 
and you would have thought I was walking up to get my Oscar. I looked so cocky. I was like, okay, what do you want to do next? You know, where are we next? If we'd have won the game there, we would have tied Indiana for the Big Ten Championship, but they ended up beating us in triple overtime. Oh, so, wow. Wow. I know. That's a great oh, no, story. Got... That's a great story. Oh, though. no, that's when, like, okay, you thought wherever the blank you won. Yeah, that's like, awesome. Eh, okay, that's good talk, awesome. good time out. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. So so you get done, and then you you mentioned you went to Bowling Green, and then you're hired on down at Butler. Coach Sexton's coaching down there. Um, yeah. So, you know, you're you're on your way. And, and how long you, you were at Butler then for a few years and then um, went to DePaul? Is that correct? I ended up getting the job at DePaul uh, when I was 26. Okay. I was the youngest head coach in the country. Wow. And to say that I was a little excited, I mean, and a little naive, like I'm married and I find out I'm going to be the head coach. And, uh, and you know, the guy who helped me get the job, Mr. Tucker, you know, talk to Tucker, all the signs. Oh, really? He, yeah. He, well, he was, he was my uncle's roommate at DePaul. No kidding? Wow. Yeah. And so I get the job, and I come home. I said, Sandy, I got the job. Oh, and she goes, what are you making? I go, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. She says, what do you mean you don't know? I said, I don't know. Never came up. She said, you didn't ask? I said, did you not hear? I got the job. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we were, you know, we were so fortunate in that we were in a really old gym, but then the next year, we were moving into a new gym and kids, we go back to what they like. They also like new stuff. Yeah. No and, doubt. and we ended up getting some really good players. And I had a, I had a, uh, admissions guy, the financial aid guy that really was a big basketball fan. And if you're a division three coach, yeah. and there's no scholars, you've got to have somebody that's got your back there. Absolutely. And so we ended up. Uh, I mean, we had we had some great teams. I mean, we were ranked number one in the country. We won uh, we won sixty straight games at home. And Scott Lewis, who was Troy Lewis's little brother, Scott, the only game home game he lost in his career, he had walking pneumonia, didn't play. Wow. And I hold it against him as we speak still. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah. the games he I mean, played it, he was going to walk. He ought to be able to play. <laughs> but, but you know what we did? We had uh, we had Scott Lewis, who couldn't really shoot it, pass it, do anything except win. I mean, he, he was a great leader. We had Phil Wendell, who was the Trust Award winner on the Plymouth State Championship team. Oh, he wow. was he was the second guy. Scott Skiles was the guy, but then yeah. Bill Wendell was the other guy. And Timmy Beek was with Vincennes, and he was the second guy. What, we, what I tried to do was pick guys from winning high school programs that weren't quite good enough to get that scholarship. And then convince them, instead of going Division II, go to go to DePaul because it's a great school. And, you know, and there were no scholarships, so I used to tell the parents, this is real easy. If your son doesn't like me or like the way things are going, he can quit and play on the fraternity. And if I don't like him or the way things are going, he's going to play on the fraternity. There's no, no, I don't. Yeah, it was it was simple. But we had that new facility, and we were, we were, uh, we were really good. One year we were 26 and one, and we lost to Butler on a last second shot, and we ended up getting beat in the uh, in the final eight. We we played at Wittenberg. And Larry Hunter, who ended up being a really good coach, yeah, yeah, uh, they beat us the year before that when we weren't nearly as good. But we played the the games at home. We ended up going to the uh, to the final four. Wow! So no, it was a great run. That's it was a awesome. great run. That's awesome. And so from there, you went to East Carolina. Went to East Carolina, and you know it's kind of interesting. Coach Shouse was the athletic director at West Virginia, and then George King was at Purdue. And, yeah. You know, and, I, and they were both very helpful to me. And and they said, Mike, you know, you, 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 you've got a 70-some percent winning percentage in five years at DePaul, uh, but we can't hire you at West Virginia. We can't hire you at Purdue. You, you're going to have to win at Division One." 
Yeah. And he said, and they both said, and for you to get a job, Division One, you're it's going to be a bad job. Yeah. You're not going to yeah. get a, a good job because guys with more experience at the Division One are going to get those jobs. And so East Carolina opens, and they – it's a tough. It, it's always been a tough deal. Yeah. But they've had four winning seasons in fifty years, and 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 we had one of them. Wow. Wow. I know. I didn't and realize Joe, that. I mean, I knew it was a no, tough job. Four in fifty years, and Joe Dooley. Oof. Joe Dooley's had one. I had one. Eddie Payne went up going to Oregon State. Had one, and yeah. then some guy that's I don't know, is back in the thirties or something. But man, that is. Yeah. That, I, man. And, and you know now, I think Joe's a really good coach, but. You know, we're in a league now with you know with Cincinnati and Houston, and it's just a yeah uh, yeah it's a tough it's it, it's a tough uh, it's a tough gig because East Carolina is the school you know it's got a lot of students um, you know sits right there in a you know you got a good location and but you yeah know, the league the league's a monster is that it, what makes it so tough is that you know like. Cincinnati beat this year, beat two kids out or one or two kids out that were got to Ohio State and you know Cincinnati's got a great facility and and if you don't go if, if you're not going to Ohio State you might go to Cincinnati. Well right. here you know yeah. we've got yeah. Carolina and Duke and NC State and Wake Forest and, yeah. and then Virginia not far away. I mean there's just so, the ACC if you're going to compete in the American Conference you got to have some guys right that can play that can play at that ACC level and that's yeah. just a you know as as Elliot will tell you he and I can walk in the gym and find the guys that can play in the Big 10 it's just really hard to find the guys you know you don't get those if you're at East Carolina, you're a Ball State or Indiana State, you don't get those guys. Yeah, talk about that a little bit because you referenced a little bit when you were at DePaul and your mentality of getting guys from winning programs, which I think is is great. And that I'll tell you, that goes into the decision-making process around here a lot. You know, that's often – I mean, it's not necessarily the first thing that we look at, but if, if they come from a winning program – like we used to think that about Ryan Klein. You know, he won big at Carmel, played for a great coach, and we thought – Man, this guy not only does he know how to play, but he knows how to win, and that just goes such a long way um, with guys. But when you're at that mid-major level or those entry-level jobs, D1, it is so hard to recruit. And I had to go to a AU event um, a couple of years ago in the spring when we were hiring Coach Shrewsbury, and we were waiting on him to become available. And so during the recruiting period, I filled in and went to this tournament out in Kansas City, and Carson Cunningham was out there, who's the head coach at Incarnate Word down in San Antonio yeah. and we, we and I go up to him we're watching this game and he said hey I'm I go who are you watching he said I'm looking at this kid here he goes and I'm just praying that he doesn't get good enough to get noticed because I think he's going to be really good at our level but as soon as he shows some flashes one of the bigger schools is going to come and get him and that had a, it's just a whole different mentality to recruiting at that level well my my best story about that is when I was at DePaul, I went up to Chicago, saw a kid at Lions that uh, his dad was a coach, and his name was Hornacek. There you go. And he uh, <laughs> he committed to coming to DePaul. I mean, he was so skinny. I mean, I I went to visit him, and he and I went out and shot horse, which probably b- breaks the rules. I don't know, whatever. But and <laughs> I mean. He uh, he's coming to DePaul, and I went back, and I didn't have any. I said, "We got this kid's going to be good." I said, he, "You know, he shoot. He's not very strong, but he's going to be a good player for us." Well, the day before guys were coming on campus, he calls and he says, "Coach, uh, I've decided to walk on at Iowa State." Mm. And I said, "You know, you'll never play there." And he says, I know, but I just, I got to give it a shot. I said, well, if it doesn't work, you know, we'd love to have you. Well, he ended up being the all-time leading scorer and assist (laughs) at Iowa State, played in the NBA for 10 years, and a kid that I coached, uh, Blue Edwards, Yeah. Blue Edwards played, played for Utah, and I go to see him, and, and Hornacek is, 
after the game, Hornacek is getting off the elevator, and I'm right there next to him. And I reintroduce myself. He goes, no, coach, you know, how you doing? Well, he had ice packs on both elbows and both knees. And I said, Horny, you know, if you'd have come to DePaul, you'd be a banker right now. (laughs) (laughs) And, And he said, you know, there's some nights that I think that wouldn't be the worst thing. But how about that? What a nobody, great man, what Nobody a... recruited him. Nobody, I mean, that's like Jack Sickman times, too. Yeah, I mean, what a great story. And, and, you know, my last recruiting class at DePaul, and I left, like you saw talking about, I left before they came. I had uh, Brad Stevens and Brad Brownell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And yeah. when I saw Stevens last time, like East Carolina, when it was open here, I called uh, Brownell. He was at Wright State. And I said, you know, East Carolina, I, I know they're interested in you. Da, da. He said, Mike, he said, I think I, I'm going to get a better chance, a better offer. And he ended up going to Clemson. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but Brad Stevens, I saw him and I said, boy, if, you know, if I would have coached you, You'd be you'd be at Wall Street right now instead of being a damn coach of the Celtics. And he's like, "Yeah, it's well, it's all worked out pretty good for me." Yeah, no yeah. <laughs> man, but how it, about those? Well, my, do you think those two would have been smart smart players to coach? Oh, yeah. You you might have had a few moments in the huddle where you just kind of sat back and were along for oh. the ride. Well, at DePaul, I used to say all the time. When we go into the meeting classroom, I'd say, okay, we all know who the dumbest person is, and you're going to listen to him. You're going to pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We had three guys that became doctors. Yeah, it's incredible. Wow. So, I mean, Mike, you think about this. Uh, so you go from a Division three head coach to a Division one head coach. I mean, that is so rare. Even in today's modern college basketball, to make that transition D3 to D1 – I'm just sitting here thinking about, you know, if this was 2021, the athletic director, you know, at East Carolina standing up in front of the media and saying, hey, we found our guy. We're, we're bringing him in from D3. I mean, from a social media standpoint, right, the fans would have crushed the AD. They were like, what? You're bringing in a D3 guy? So, I, I mean, that, that ends up being a hell of an opportunity for you, right, to, go, to make that jump D3 to D1. Again, you so rarely see that. Oh, and you know what's interesting is that, that the league that you go to uh, is the Ivy League because back in the day they didn't offer scholarships and now they get around that because they recruit guys that if you got X GPA and you know your, your family doesn't make more than a hundred thousand whatever you basically and that's how Tommy Amaker you know Harvard Harvard's recruiting against the best in the country now but right I was the head coach at Dartmouth for four days. Really? I, yeah. I, in fact, I'm looking at a picture of me, and they're in a, sitting, standing there with a basketball in a D, and I keep it there because people think it's DePaul, but it was Dartmouth. And Elliot, you'll, I know you've never heard this. Elliot, I take the job, and the AD tells me that you can hire whoever you want. Uh, you know, every, guys are all going to get a car, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so – I get there, and the two assistant coaches, good guys, but I didn't know them, and they are they're they're busting their butt, they're working, and I hadn't signed my contract yet. I go down to get my car, and they don't have any cars. There, there's no cars, and so I go up to the AD, and I tell him, I said, you know, you uh, these guys. You told me I could hire whoever I wanted to hire. He said, Mike, they've got another year on the contract. You've got to keep them. And I said, and there's no cars. He goes, well, there's not much you can do about it now. You need to pull your big boy pants off and uh, and go to work. <laughs> so I go, now there's no cell phones. So I go back to the dorm and I call uh, Dr. Rosser, who was my uh, chancellor at DePaul. And so I, I tell him that uh, – you know, I want to come back to DePaul, and and I tell him what happened, and he said, Mike, you know, we've interviewed three people, and we're down, you know, we've got somebody that we're going to offer the job. I said, that's fine. I said, I just want you to know, 
and then he called me back and he said, if you'll sign that you won't interview anywhere for three years, we'd love to have you back. And I mean, now, when I get back to Indianapolis, Sandy picks me up at the airport and says, when are we going back to DePaul or back to uh, uh, Dartmouth? I said, we're not going back. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was. And so then after three years, I interviewed at Yale. And again, you know, no scholarships, the same concept. I interview at Yale, and I go in for the meeting, and there's all Wall Street guys, all three-piece suits, and the guy says, your DeBar teams have led the nation or been in the top five in free throw shooting, and we've been last in the Ivy League three or four years in a row. How are you going to fix that? And I said, <laughs> well, you need to get better shooters, and we'll work on that. I said, but... I've been on campus for two days, and you've got about 200 rowing machines. You've got two baskets. <laughs> and these guys look around and go, we need more baskets. They're whispering. We need more baskets. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I'd like to be the rowing coach here, but I'm not sure that the – so I ended up I ended up in the final two or three there, and uh, the Notre Dame assistant ended up getting it. But it lasted forever, and in, in June of that year – they hadn't named a coach yet, and and the athletic director, Dr. Dr. Ryan, his assistant calls and says, Dr. Ryan would like to come to your campus and spend two days and have you teach him basketball. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and I said, well, we got camp starting next week, and that's the only way Dr. Ryan is going to be able to come to this campus. I said, you know, the people here at DePaul are pretty proud of their – yeah, no, he can't do that. She said, well – you're probably going to be out. I said, no, I, I'm out. No, you want to come to my campus? How crazy is that? Jeez. No. Boy, no. just when you think you've heard it all. I know. I know. No. So, anyway, it worked out. I mean, and then once I got fired here, I had a year left, and so I was going to go back, and Coach Katie said he would hire me as the volunteer coach. And... uh you know, it just – and I love Coach, and I'd been a head college coach for nine or ten years, I guess, by that time. Yeah. And, boy, he just – he was – he said, Mike, you know, you, uh, you, you've got to be able – you've got to get Glenn up, get him out, get him to class, <laughs> guard both doors. You know, it's really going to be – really going to be important. And, he, I mean, <laughs> you know how important it is, though. you got to yeah. keep the best player in the country. Yeah. And I said, well, Coach, I said, you know, if I was a GA, I'd do that in a heartbeat. I said, but, man, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to tell Glenn he needs to blank yeah. and blank. And and I think that's about the best I could do. And he said, well, then it's not going to work for us. <laughs> and it was just – and it was it was fine. And you know who took the job? Lav. Steve Lavin. Lavin, there you go. Yeah, it worked yeah. out pretty good for him. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Man, I'll no, tell you, and, and I love and, Coach Kate. I love seeing him. And you've been and, down, and, you've been in uh, in Greenville since then. In Greenville since then. Yep. And got in the insurance business. Uh, a guy became my mentor, and he was great. And I had no interest in it, and I knew I was uh, going to get right back in coaching. And the Rose Holman job opened, and the new athletic director there had been assistant at the Paw, and he called me and said you know the job's yours and boy i had to you know think do i want to get back driving the vans and all that and you know it was close to robinson and but their chancellor had been on the bench for the depaul had been on the bench for the depaul rose holman game every game i coached and we probably beat them by an average of 40 points <laughs> wow and so i you know well they ended up they end up hiring a graduate assistant from Connecticut, and he was the first African-American head coach they'd ever had at Rose, and he ended up embezzling money and getting, you know, getting fired. But it, 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 it kind of woke me up, and that you know maybe I, you know, I had a real shot, and it's just you know you can get you can do it like Kermit Davis and Kermit and I are good friends, and Kermit, you know, got out at Texas A&M, and then. Yeah. Went to Chipola and then went from there to the assistant, and yeah. he kept grinding, and now he's at Ole Miss, and, you know, he's, he's doing good. 
I just nobody ever gets out of coaching when when you're winning. But we had two tough years at East Carolina, and boy, it's uh, when you lose, it's tough. Yeah. Well, and you've and you've, but you know, you're still around the game, and and I know you're still you still are involved there at ECU a lot, um, and pretty tight in. Oh yeah, we've got this is home, and yeah. and my my oldest son is an orthodontist and has a practice here. He's in a practice with some other guys, big practice, and I've got three uh, three grandkids now that I you know just can't wait to see every day. And then Drew still lives with us. And so, like, Drew and I are going tonight to the Houston game. We'll go early and say hello to Calvin. There we go. And, <laughs> I mean, no, it's uh, it's worked out good. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Mike, we always end these podcasts. We do a final four questions, and they're four kind of off-topic questions for everybody. So we're going to run you through the final four here. And the first question is, what is your go-to music of choice? My music of choice? Yeah, what do you like to listen to when you're in the car? Or, or maybe... Anything Motown. Earth, Wind, and Fire, anything Motown. There you go. There you go. I I, I, I would have uh, – that probably would have been one of my guesses with you, just knowing you like I do. Um, and any any particular artist in particular from Motown? or? No, I like them all. Yeah. You know, uh, Eugene Parker sang at my wedding, and he sang My Girl oh, at cool. uh, my wedding. That's awesome. And he also sang on my 25th anniversary. He was negotiating a contract in Dallas. And the day before, I called him and told his secretary it was a matter of life and death. And Eugene gets on the phone. And I said, Eugene, tomorrow we're having a big party. And I need to have you call Sandy at 9 o'clock and sing This Guy's In Love With You. Oh, that's awesome. And he says, are you kidding? I said, Eugene, <laughs> I got you in and out of Kokomo. You were in my wedding. Uh, come on. And and he did. He called. Oh, it was great. It was great. The girls thought I was so romantic, and it didn't cost a penny. It was <laughs> That's fantastic. Oh, All right. What's next? All right. Question two is, what is your all-time favorite book or maybe a good book you've read recently? You know, I I, I loved all the Vince Flynn books. And those were, I mean, I read every one of them. Uh, you know, I'm not great at remembering authors, but I would say the Vince, Vince Flynn, I've, he's probably had 12 of them, and now he passed away, and now he's got a guy that writes them with his, like a ghostwriter, and all of those are, uh, all of those are good. That's awesome. That's awesome. What is a, uh, if you could wave a wand and do any profession starting tomorrow, what would it be? If I could wave a wand and do any profession you wanted starting tomorrow, what would it be? Well, I certainly would like to wave and, and clean up the government. That's probably but that's probably too much of a wave. <laughs> that's a yeah, big that's, wand. That's, that's a really big that's wand. That's a huge wand. No, that's a huge wand. Uh, you know, that's that's an interesting question. Uh, you know, coaching is a great life when you're winning. Yeah. Uh, and my gosh, now some of, some of them make so much money. I don't know. I mean, be a doctor and find the cure to cancer. That, that's cool. Big. That's yeah, a, that'd be big. That's a very unique answer. We've not had uh, not had that in the past. Our our most pop- unique. You know what? That's kind of like what I say about my wife's cooking. It's unique. <laughs> yeah. That's your that's your uh, subtle compliment. Yeah. Well, this yeah, is unique. It's unique. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Okay, last question here on the final four. What is uh, something that no one or very few people know about you? That very few people know about me. Uh, golly, my life's kind of an open book. Uh, oh, boy. I think that. I don't know. I like. I don't know. I, I boy, that's tough. You know, I try. I've got a pretty, as you guys can tell, I got a pretty sarcastic sense of humor. I used to. Don Rickles was my favorite comedian. Oh, there you go. Well, there you go. Bad I am, but I think I'm. And and the and the kids I coach, you know, they think I'm pretty tough and whatever. I think I'm just a softy. I've got. I'm kind of an old old. I'm old and I've got an old soul type attitude. I'm. I like giving kids a, a second chance and doing stuff 
for kids. That's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, I'll tell you, and whenever your name comes up around here, um, and when we talk to you know those that know you, um, your your quick wit does always come up. That's one of the first things. Oh, Steely, he's funny, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, that always comes up. So, no, you know, uh, when I introduced Park, Park's so easy because he's such an easy target. I mean, my God, he's so easy. <laughs> uh, but that was really fun for me to introduce him uh, because he was so good, and he and I. We played, back in the day, we played at the old gym one-on-one in the summer behind the Beta House. We played at the uh, uh, at, at uh, the Sears outside courts. You know, we played, played more one-on-one, and I mean I can probably count on one hand the times I beat him. But I'd beat him in horse. And every time I beat him in horse, he'd, he'd, we'd walk off and he'd go, there's a lot of guys sitting on the bench in the Big Ten that can't win a horse game. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah. You, yeah. But, and here's something. You know, Kyle Macy, I yeah. played my, his freshman year, I played with Mace. And I saw Park beat Macy 10-1 to 1, uh, left-handed because he had a cast on his right hand. Wow. Wow. And they played. Wow. I mean, Macy was playing. Yeah, good player. And the flip side of that is, when I was on, on the second group, I had Macy on the second team, and I had Jerry Seastein, and I was a pretty good passer. But, but I'll tell you what, you, you beat your man and pass it to one of those two guys, and they were, they were going to make some shots. Yeah, they'll do the rest. Yeah. And Macy's first Big Ten game, first Big Ten road game at Minnesota. Okay? He and I were roommates. We scored 41 points between us. He had 39, and I had two. <laughs> you you, you poured pour, pour, pour in two in the barn, huh? <laughs> in the barn. Yep. Oh. Uh, that's awesome. Well, hey, I want to I thank you, Mike. And, um, you know, just so our listeners know, too, Mike uh, stays in, in pretty close contact with, uh, with the coaching staff here. I know you get back to a game or two a year. Um, and uh, as you mentioned, you were here uh, on campus just recently inducting Bruce Parkinson in the Purdue Hall of Fame. That speech was great. It was uh, one of the – probably the best part of the evening because it was funny and entertaining. And, and uh, um, we just we, – we appreciate our relationship with you and, and you always kind of communicating with us. And uh, just thanks, thanks for taking time to join us here on the podcast. No, it's been great. And, you know, I'm, I'm anxious to get back and I'm anxious to see the uh, student union that uh, – Yeah. Everybody says it's 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 you know spectacular. Yeah, the hotel there has been renovated, turned out great, and um, yeah, campus in general. I mean, if you're gone for even if you even if you're gone for half a year, a few months, and you come back, another building's popped up, things have transformed. It's just uh, it's incredible what's going on here, and it's all all been really positive. So good. No, guys, thank. It was really fun, and uh, Elliot, I will hopefully see you soon. Sounds great. Appreciate it. All right. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Mike. Yep, thanks. That was Mike Steele here on the Boilerball Podcast, Episode 73. I want to thank everybody for listening. And until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well.